You're listening to American Grit, America's raw and uncensored podcast. My name's Tim Jensen. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and co-owner of Grunstyle Apparel. And we're here to talk about all the bullshit mainstream media won't touch with a stick by sharing information that directly impacts our community, our well-being, and our destiny as Americans. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of American Grit with me, Tim Jensen. And I have a very special guest with us today as we continue our conversation about military sexual trauma and the reforms that are needed within our military to make sure that we are providing a safe environment for all of our enlisted personnel. Uh, so I'd like to welcome to the show Colonel Don Christensen, U.S. Air Force, former JAG officer, and spent a majority of your career prosecuting uh, military sexual traumas. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Tim. Uh, really uh, great to be here. I'm really uh, impressed that you're taking on this topic. Right on. It is a, definitely a, a hard, a hard topic to talk about. Right. Uh, it it is uncomfortable. Uh, it is um, shameful in many in many uh, circumstances in which you know the the behaviors that are being exhibited upon both men and women within our military. Uh, we've had, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, we do have a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, the military has been struggling with this for at least the last 30 years, starting with the tailhook scandal in the early 90s. Uh, decades of promise from senior leadership that they were going to control this. But what we know is that instead of getting better, the problem is getting worse. Uh, the most recent data was the highest rate of sexual assault ever recorded in the United States military. So we have a long ways to go to make sure our men and women feel safe when they're serving. Right, right. And, you know, as I understand it, you know, uh, with that with that data that's coming out, there are less prosecutions that are happening in the military now. But these the the amount of military sexual assaults are increasing. Yeah, absolutely right. So the DOD is required by Congress to do a really in-depth look at the sexual assault problem. And every other year they do a survey of the force to get an idea of how many men and women on active duty were sexually assaulted. And they've been doing that since 2006. And the numbers that just came out were the highest ever. So, excuse me. So 8.4% of women were sexually assaulted or raped or uh, had some other sexual, wrongful sexual contact uh, in fiscal year 21. Uh, That is, 50% increase in the rate of sexual assault from 2018. So the numbers are going the wrong way. And then we look at prosecutions. It's doing exactly opposite. While we're seeing sexual assault and reporting go up, we're seeing prosecutions go down and convictions go down. Yeah. So it's... we are doing exactly the opposite of what we need. Right, right. And, you know, it's very easy, and I hear this all the time, well, it's only 10%, right? I mean, there's a lot of women in the military. Well, 10%, I don't care if it's 1%, right? This is is a big problem. And it's not only happening amongst women, right? This is happening uh, against males as well. Uh, And it's mostly, you know, happening from a predatory leadership position. Would you disagree with that? Well, a lot of it in the sexual assault world is predatory leadership positions. Uh, we know, especially with sexual harassment, a lot of that comes from leadership. Uh, <clears throat> and what's particularly troubling about that is, from again, the DOD's own numbers, if you have a unit that has a sexual harassment problem, a woman in that unit has a one in four chance of being sexually assaulted. So leadership's failures is a real problem. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we've had uh, some really great conversations, um, you know, coming up to this podcast. And you know, you spent 23 years prosecuting this. Um, what what were some of the things that you know you observed and the takeaways of, of, of over those years? Um, you know, seeing seeing the, the problem firsthand, 
seeing how commands are, are dealing with it and, you know, what programs exist that, you know, are, are really there, like Sharps. Is Sharps really effective? It doesn't seem like it is. Right. Well, I would say over the 23 years, and some of that I spent as uh, defense counsel. So I've seen this from both sides, and I was also a military judge, so I've really seen it from every way you can look at it. And one of the big takeaways is we have a culture of disbelief in the military. And what do I mean by that? Uh, there is a denial both in leadership and the rank and file that this is really a problem. So when I talk about the numbers, you know, 36,000 men and women being sexually assaulted last year, these aren't my numbers. These are the Department of Defense's numbers. Uh, they've been doing this survey for, like I said, since 2006, scientifically valid, but no one it really accepts that there is this big of a problem. Yeah. So as you prosecute the cases, what you see is, and, and I think part of this is that team centered focus we have in the military is that people rally around the offender. Uh, and so you, when you are at a court-martial, you'll see behind the accused all of his teammates, and then the victim is shunned right. out of the unit. Uh, that makes it really difficult to, one, win these cases, and two, get uh, men and women willing to go through this gauntlet of uh, support that the accused has. Uh, and it's also at the leadership level, uh, just a disbelief. So if you look at currently, commanders are the one who make prosecution decisions ultimately. And uh, if you look at the last six years, only about 6% of the cases where someone comes forward and says, I've been sexually assaulted or raped, and it's investigated, only about 6% of those ever make it in a court. Yeah. And only about 2% of those result in a conviction. So for an offender, they know that they have a 98% chance that nothing's going to happen to them. Right, right. So it's creating this, this or cultivating, rather, uh, this, this behavior within, within the ranks. And, you know, there's something very uh, interesting, you know, that I think I want to pick out a little bit here is you know, you're talking about when in the prosecution or in the, in the courtroom itself during these, these proceedings. You know, you're absolutely right. You do see a, the group rally behind the individual uh, that, uh, you know, is the accused, Right. And, and the victim is often shamed. Right? right. You know, I think of Janae Sergio and the conversation that right. we have with her and, you know, uh, uh, the fallout of that. And in, in that after it was all said and done, they put the, the individual that that violated her in the back in the same classroom and as if nothing ever happened. Right. What the fuck are we doing? In our, in our military services that we're allowing these things to happen. Yeah, and it's frustrating because there are congressionally mandated things out there to, to, not, to make sure that doesn't happen, but it's still happening, where the rapist and the victim are still in the same dorm even after reported, and before he goes to trial, they don't separate them. Uh, we have commanders that are reluctant to give no contact orders or military yeah. protective orders. And it is just, again, that mindset that we have. Uh, I'm 100% behind innocent until proven guilty. But that doesn't mean you ignore the fact that you have evidence this person has committed a crime and you have to at least address that before you go to trial. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Army had a case where the guy had committed five rapes before they finally put him into pretrial confinement. Uh, and they knew about these. And they ignored it for the first few times it was brought forward. So you got to change that mindset that... Uh, 
you know, that we rally around him. And, and a lot of it is that teammate thing. And I understand that. You know, I was in for 23 years. Uh, and that's a great strength of the military is this camaraderie have. But you also have to remember your ultimate loyalty is to the institution. Right. And <clears throat> the institution has been harmed. One of, one of its members has been sexually assaulted. And, and that's what you need to be looking at. Yeah. yeah. And in, in, in the conversations, we've talked about, you know, just how the legal system within the United States military operates, right? It was only recently uh, within, you know, the last half century uh, that uh, we have transitioned out of one style of law into the current style that we are in. Could you elaborate that? Because yeah. I think it's important to understand that. Right. So the American military justice system was based on King George III's justice system that uh, George Washington adopted in 1775. And it was not a fair process. And it was incredibly abusive to soldiers, uh, particularly the enlisted rank. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it allowed a commander that had the authority to convene a court to reject verdicts. Uh, I mean, just think about that. That just blows our mind is uh, that uh, somebody could say, oh, you've been found now guilty. Now keep deliberating. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like that. Uh, commanders had almost unfettered power. The, the you know, convictions are basically automatic. People were sentenced. Uh, and what was crazy, there wasn't a judge presiding over this case. Uh, there wasn't an appellate court. It wasn't until 1950s, 1951 that we had appellate courts in the military justice system. It wasn't until 1969 that we had judges. So just lay people, lay officers, ruled on evidentiary uh, issues. Uh, the court members, a jury that decided whether something was hearsay or not uh, without any legal training. So uh, because of all of this abuse, uh, Congress in, uh, after World War II started putting more protections in. But it was protections in the military that was basically 99% male and really wasn't thinking about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we've seen is a lot of those protections designed to push back against command abuse have given a shield to offenders to uh, be protected from being prosecuted and given them greater access to like mental health records than they would in the civilian world of the victim. Uh, and that's, that's a real disincentivizer for someone to come forward when they know that their mental health records are gonna be turned over to their offender. So uh, it, it was an abusive process uh, and it still has a lot of issues, but yeah. it is better than it was for the first 200 years. We are proud to introduce the Grunt Style Foundation, a nonprofit devoted to servicing our service members, veterans, and their families. It's an organization that is built on three pillars, honor, integrity, and advocacy. We recognize those who have courageously served our country, and we're ready to go to the very steps of power on their behalf. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. From providing veterans with affordable in-home therapy methods, to championing alternative therapies to combat traumatic brain injuries, toxic chemical or heavy metal exposures, and more. Our approach is holistic and aggressive. Wherever our community is in need, we are there. Our mission is ongoing and will remain with support from people like you. Make our mission your mission, and together we can turn the tide. Someone has to. Visit www.grunstylefoundation.org for more information and join the change today. 
Right, right. And, you know, and I, I think there, you know, there are still problems, right? And there's still abuses that are occurring, uh, majority uh, in the enlisted side, right? You know, officers still get a lot of passes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, and I, I spoke about this previously, and I think I shared this with you. When I walked off the plane in um, uh, Camp Liberty, Iraq, right, Biop, uh, this is 2004, um, I was old, I was in the holding area for maybe a couple of days, you know, just getting acclimated, and you know, it's like a week in the holding areas before you move on to your next place and as you find your home. Um, and you know, during that time period, you know, it was September two thousand four, and it was there was a prostitution ring that was being run by a major. Yeah, and most of the prostitutes were officers. Like, like this is happening within our military, and that was you know. Almost twenty years ago, <laughs> right, right. You know, but I would venture to say that it's still these things are still happening today, right? Yeah. As we you know look at you know the the cases like Vanessa Guillen, uh, as we look at you know probably you know what's happening with Denisha Roberts, uh, what like what is happening there? Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a great question. You know, that family struggling because they can't get answers and don't have faith in the system, and when you don't have faith in the system, you know, you can't get. You can't get people to come in and join. But what I would say is you may or may not have heard the term different spanks or different ranks. Mm. And the, that whole idea that the more senior you are, the less likely you are to be punished. And it's reality. Uh, you know, I, I saw it when I was on active duty. Uh, our, the head of the Air Force Judge Advocate General uh, Department uh, was involved in a very widespread unprofessional relationship with about 13 subordinates including an allegation of sexual assault. Uh, if he had been uh, an E-4, he would have been prosecuted. But because mm -hmm. he was a two-star general, he was allowed to retire and lose some rank. Okay? Right. But he's still making more money in retirement than, right. you, than we are. Right, you know? full bennies. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, and the, the Air Force has been around for 75 years. And they've had a number of generals who have failed uh, to meet the standards and commit criminal misconduct. Some of it's serious criminal misconduct. Uh, it wasn't until this year that they actually ever prosecuted a general officer. And, and that's what's wrong with this process is that for the enlisted people, they see generals, they see colonels, they see majors getting away with crimes that they get crushed for. Uh, and to have a justice system, everybody has to be equal under the law. Yeah, 100%. Now, you know, when we talk about recruiting, right, um, let's talk about like our, like our current recruiting processes now. Do you feel that there are opportunities that we can, like, you know, there's a lot of predators that, that come into the military, right? Um, right. You know, let's think, let's think about the demographics that are coming into the military, right? And, you know, and, and, and by, and I want to preface this, you know, by, by saying that we're not attacking the military here, right? right. This, we're trying to improve our community. We're trying to, to hold our uh, peers accountable uh, to the actions of what we discern as the standard, Right. right. Um, you know, but, but with that being said, like, can we do a better job of of looking at the demographics and saying, hey, you know, we need to be, we need to be screening a little bit better in, in these regards. Like, you know, sure, they, they're doing all the checks, checking the boxes like, oh, do you have a criminal history? Blah, 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 blah. Right. But are there other opportunities that we can get in front of that that, that you have seen or that you that you've even ideated over your course of your career? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. First, let me just say I agree 100. percent This is very pro-military. I mean, I did 23 and a half years, 
I'm third generation Air Force officer, fifth, sixth generation military, loved the military, loved the Air Force, loved being in it. Uh, so I want it to be in a better place, and I know it can be. But you're right, yeah, how do we, how do we look at that? You know, and I'm not a uh, psychologist, I don't know the best way to do a test on that. But I know one thing we can look at is social media. Yeah. Uh, you know, the recruiters, I know they're busy, uh, but are they looking at social media recruiters, uh, the recruiters? Uh, because it tells you a lot. You know, mm-hmm. are, are we seeing uh, comments that they make in that social media that's racist, misogynist, that, that tells you this is somebody that even though we're having a hard time recruiting, maybe we just don't want to have this person in there. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting as uh, – uh, I don't know if you've been watching like the Dahmer series mm-hmm. and there's another series called Mind Hunters about looking at serial killers. How many of those people like Jeffrey Dahmer was in the army? Uh, how many uh, David Berkowitz, son of Sam, was in the army? How many of these people were in the military? And a lot of them not because they were drafted, because they enlisted yeah. uh, or were in the Marines or in the Air Force. And so it is something there that we're missing that we bring in people in like that. Yeah, but and it's a... Th- that's a great point. Like, I think of myself, right? I come from a broken home, right? I joined the Marine Corps because I had no other options, right? I could have I went to college, eh, but I probably would have ended up in jail because of the lifestyle that I was living, right? right? Uh, and I think that's predominantly the, the people that the military attracts, right? Right. Um, you know, it's, it, it, and, you know, with that comes luggage, Right. Um, you know, and again, I'll use myself and I, I don't, I don't mind putting myself out there, but you know, I, ca- I came from a broken home. I didn't have a good male role model in my life. I was involved in crime. I was involved in drugs. I was involved in all these other things, but I still made it into the military. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but but if, if the, if the standards of the military were is what they said, I, like I should not have been able to join the military. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the Army in particular reduced their standards in the buildup in Iraq in 2005, yep. 2006, bringing in people with felony convictions. You know, there's not a lot of good data out there for us to trail those people, to track them, to see what kind of uh, problems they caused. You know, I, I believe in second chances. Mm-hmm. You know, as a judge, I really believed in second chances. I think it's really important in our country to give people second chances. So I wouldn't want barriers to say, you just can't overcome that. Right. But we still need to look at the mentality of the people. And again, because I'm not a psychologist, I can't tell you the best way to do that. Right. But it's something we should be looking at. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, because you know, there are, and I think that's a great point. Is you know, definitely looking at it, understanding how to, you know, you know, what what type of psychological test can we put into uh, in that in that pre period, right? Right. You know, they, they put so much focus on the ASVAB. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the ASVAB is great, is it? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what my GT score has done for me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, having, you know, creating some processes there. Uh, and, you know, uh, and again, as we source from these demographics, right, we, we, we know that we're, we're getting a lot with those demographics. You know, um, sexual trauma is a huge thing in the United States. It is. Right? Uh, especially, you know, 80s, 90s. You know, that, that was a, that's a big problem. Big Absolutely. Problem. You know, and part of that was culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, I t- I'm old. <laughs> You're not old, but I'm old. But I remember, you know, the movies that we would see in the 70s and 80s particularly. So, for example, Animal House. Mm-hmm. Huge classic. In Animal House, we got people uh, laughing about having underage sex with an underage passed out woman mm-hmm. that's comedy you know uh, but 
that's actually a very serious crime, but it was a, it was a comedic bit. Uh, all the movies in the 80s, you know, it was all about getting the girl. And if she was drunk and she was out, fine. You know, 16 candles. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Thing. Right. Here's my passed out girlfriend. Have at her. Right. Uh, so all I, 20 year olds <clears throat> playing 14 year olds. All 20 year olds <laughs> playing 14 year olds. Yeah. So <clears throat> there was that culture issue. I think we're in a better place yeah. uh, when it comes to that. Uh, I hope. Uh, my hope is that the men and women are coming, even though we're talking about we have some problems with people coming in, that I think they are in a better thought process about how you treat each other than what we were 70, in the 70s and yeah. the 80s. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think you know, sometimes it gets a bad rap, right? Oh, the military is getting woke and, you know, military is right. this, that, and the other. Like, eh, okay, whatever. But, you know, let's talk about the human aspect here, right? You know, there, there's still humanity. There's still, uh, you know, uh, these these core beliefs that we uh, need to be addressing, um, you know, because we're, if we want the best warfighter, because ultimately that's what we need. We need the best warfighter. We need that person to be so damn focused that they can push the world out of their mind and focus on the objectives in front right. of them. Uh, and we need sound mind uh, and we need professionals you know, to be to be doing that. And I think it's part of our responsibility and, and, and that standard to be met uh, as, we're, as we're recruiting into the military. And then the programs in between, right? We talked right. a little bit about sharps, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when the Vanessa Guillen situation was going on, uh, Tammy Duckworth. Uh, I was living in Illinois at the time. Well, no, I wasn't. Uh, but uh, she's. We have a business. Or, or half of our business is up in Illinois, and she's a representative of the state of Illinois. And uh, you know, she came out and said, "Well, we need to do a better job with our sharps training." I'm like, "Sharps training? A woman was. I hate to say this, but let's let's talk about the severity of the of the situation here. A woman was chopped up into pieces inside yep. of her, her place of work. Yep. There's nothing that sharps is going to do yep. to, to correct that problem." Right. Yeah. And that's one of the problems we've had is <clears throat> as uh, there's been a push to reform the military justice system, uh, leadership has been very jealously guarding their authority. And they have said, well, we'll just do a better job of training. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how often you have to tell somebody rape's bad. <laughs> I think everybody gets that. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, there are a lot of great people in Sharp and, you know, the Air Force we call it SARC, uh, Sexual Assault Response Coordinators. Uh, they do a lot of training. Uh, there's training uh, fatigue. Mm -hmm. People are just tired of being told this. You know, they're like, I'm not a rapist. Why are you telling me not to do this? Uh, so I, you're not going to train your way out of it. Uh, there's a way to change the culture that goes beyond a slideshow, a uh, PowerPoint slideshow. Uh, and a lot of that comes from leadership. Uh, if, if leadership uh, sends a message that a value that a woman brings to the unit is that she's a I think she's hot. Uh, I want to date her. I'm going to try to have sex with her. I want to sexually harass her. That tells everybody else in the unit, yeah, that's what her value is. It isn't the fact that she's meeting the same standards we are. Mm -hmm. It isn't the fact that she uh, can handle a machine gun. That's not what's important. What's important is she's cute. Right. And, and, and all that falls on leadership. And it goes back to not holding leadership accountable. We have a number of senior officers who have engaged in inappropriate relationships with junior enlisted, uh, and they're not prosecuted. They need to be prosecuted as a crime under the UCMJ. Uh, the Fat Leonard scandal involving the United States Navy, where you had all these senior naval officers trading national security information to Fat Leonard in exchange for prostitutes. Uh, 
that what again says to every sailor that knows about that that a woman's value is as a sexual object, and you just got to change that mentality. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, General Petraeus. I'll say General it. Petraeus, absolutely. Right. And <laughs> and at least he was prosecuted, although he got a slap on the wrist. Right. But at least, but he was prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Army didn't prosecute him. Mm -hmm. Yep, and he walked away with all of his bennies. All of his benefits. You right. know. Uh, you know, as you talk, uh, as any other person that's like, you know, of, uh, you know, understanding of SSI and, and clearances and things of that nature, it's like, uh, yeah, exactly. what are we doing here? Why am I being held to a different standard? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have known uh, mid-grade enlisted people who accidentally leave classified on their desk. Shouldn't be doing it. It's bad. They get crushed. General Petraeus is for sexual favors, right. giving classified. Right. Gosh, like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before the show, too, is like, you know, part of that problem is in the military, we're often looked at as, you know, objects, as, right. you know, uh, that dehumanized, um, you know, mentality of, you know, uh, you're, you're, you know, as a Marine, right, it was beat into us. Like, like your, your job is to go out there and fight, and if you die, you die. The next Marine will step in your place and continue to go. So you're like, okay, I'm just an object. I know right. what my place is. I need to, you know, I'm going to go do this. Um, and with that dehumanization, all these, it allows these things to happen, right? Because now we no longer have any compassion. Right? We no longer care about these things uh, that we normally would put a lot of value to, right? Uh, in, in our moral compass and in the things that, you know, that we that we hold true to ourselves. Um, how do we fix that? Yeah, well, you know, that's interesting. <clears throat> uh, if you look at the data, uh, the Air Force has the lowest sexual assault rate by far of the four services. I guess if you want to call Space Force five services now, uh, the Marines have the highest. And I would say of any of, you know, that's the two extremes of how people are treated within those services, you know, dehumanized in the Marine Corps, more humanized in the Air Force. And I think there's something to what you're saying. But, you know, uh, when we uh, train our soldiers, one thing we always want to stress and hopefully are stressing is that you fight ethically. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can't have another me lie. Uh, we're, uh, you know, 500 Vietnamese civilians were slaughtered by soldiers. Uh, if we can train people to fight ethically, we can also train them. Even though you're a warrior, uh, that does not mean you have a right to rape. Yeah. You don't have a right to sexual assault. Uh, your teammate, or what we often don't talk about, is the thousands of civilians that are sexually assaulted by military members. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Your job is to protect them. And that protection doesn't just happen on the battlefield. It means you don't. Uh, abuse them yeah. and so it's really just changing the mindset yeah. you know we want you to be a warrior but we want you to be an ethical warrior yeah and it, man that, that brought back just a, a memory right now that just throw, is throwing some goosebumps on me and you know i don't think i've ever you know talked about this with a lot of people but you know when i was in iraq we did a lot of great work right uh like all of us did and you know, we right. were out there doing the right thing uh what we believed to be the right thing at that time and and, and that work had a lot of interfacing with the the public the privateer uh, right. the private citizen and you know we did a lot of work in uh the triangle of death uh it was mamadia yusufia uh, latafia 
inside Yusufia was uh, the Al Janabi family, right? And the Al Janabi family was uh, a little history lesson here was the um, the hit teams uh, of the tribe. That tribe was used by um, the Ba'ath Party and members of um, of Sodom's inner circle uh, as hitmen and assassins, and and really did some disgusting things. Um, so one of our jobs when we were over there was to really like quell that 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 tribe down, uh, them and the Garhulis, were, which were the financiers. Uh, they lived across the, the Euphrates, um, and uh, we did a lot of good work there. Uh, we turned that from a black zone to a, a you know relatively a green zone, um, and and by working with all of those people and showing them the, the goodwill of the American right and all the positive things that we've done uh, we do as a country and how we look at people. When we ripped out, an army unit came right in behind us, right? Uh, don't know, you know, exactly how long they've been in country and what they've exposed to, the level of combat and loss that they were all going through, but there were some significant fucking problems that they were exhibiting into the, the local population there to the point where they raped uh, a 14-year-old yeah. uh, Janabi girl, right? And all that work that we did, gone, yep. um, instant, because yep. of two army soldiers that couldn't control themselves, and you know their command allowed that shit to happen, uh, which ultimately led to the Janabis, um, you know, going a full out assault uh, on the on the army, and then killing a bunch of soldiers and leaving them at a power plant, uh, IED'd, uh, and you know, and that was a horrible ending to that story. Yeah. Um, but that's that's just one instance. I'm sure there's more of that, like throughout the the 20 year war. Exactly. Yeah. Abu Ghraib. Uh, I mean, just yeah. war crimes. Uh, is the definition of an unethical warrior. And we see the uh, effect of that. It uh, results in additional violence, results in the, the, all the work that you put into getting a, a better situation just evaporating. Uh, and that's why it's so important. And you can say by analogy, that's what happens with sexual assault in the unit. You know, if you have a sexual assault in the unit, uh, all the good work of Sharp or the leader that's a good leader just evaporates with that sexual assault because somebody was unethical. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite challenging. It's quite challenging. Um, so, tw- as, you, as you, you know, the learnings that you have come out of with your time uh, in, in, in the prosecuting defense and in the judiciary of, of all of this. What is the one takeaway that you have that you would want to share with everybody that is listening? How important it is for all of the services to take to heart the value of experience. Uh, <clears throat> experience is what makes the difference between winning and losing cases, it makes the difference between a survivor, uh, victim, however you want to re- re- uh, phrase that, uh, feeling like that they got their day in court, even if it results in an acquittal. Uh, it gives the family of the accused uh, a better feeling if they know that their defense attorney's experience, if they can see it, look at the judge and tell that judge uh, has been on the bench understands the law and is being fair that gives everybody on both sides a a better uh, belief in the system Mm -hmm. but experience is not valued as crazy as it is by jack core leadership across the board so the air force for example that's what i know the best you know they are you prosecute your first or second assignment and then you almost never see the court again uh that 99% of JAGs will never do a trial after 
they become a major. Uh, <clears throat> the problem is that it takes a long time to be good at prosecuting sexual assault cases. But we put people into those positions that maybe are at the four-year point of their career, and they've never prosecuted a sexual assault case before, and now they're considered the lead prosecutor on these. Uh, it, 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 you know, they have never cross-examined and accused, but now you're the lead prosecutor. Never made a closing argument before a jury, but now you're the lead prosecutor. Uh, it results in legal errors, it results in tactical errors, uh, and what we see is the conviction rates uh, are dismal. So we already talked about very few cases go to trial. Over that last six years period, 6.2% of cases, all allegations went to trial, only 6.2%. <laughs> But the military loses 70% of those few cases they take to trial. So you, if you can't put people in confinement, if you can't hold them accountable, you're just sending the wrong message. And for the survivor who goes through what it can be a two, three-year period of having their life turned upside down just to see their offender walk out high-fiving everybody from the unit because I've found that guilty, uh, you know, it's devastating for them. <clears throat> disincentivizes other survivors to go through the process. So we really need to get the experience in there. And that includes our judiciary. Uh, you know, we rotate judges in and out like that. Uh, a lot of them have very little experience. And now I will say we have a, a lot of great judges. We have a lot of great prosecutors. We have a lot of great uh, defense counsel. But what we don't have is a commitment by the leadership to let people do that as a career. Uh, <clears throat> so, for example, when I was in active duty, we visited the Boulder, uh, Colorado DA's office because they're, they have kind of a reputation of being a really good prosecution team. And, you know, we're talking with them, we're talking to the district attorney, we're talking to the people heading up the special victims prosecutor unit. And these people have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years straight. Whereas the average sex assault prosecutor in the Air Force has two or three years as a lead prosecutor and they'll never do it again. Right. And so we just have to change that mentality. Uh, the other part of it is that gets lost is the same thing applies to investigators. <clears throat> you, you mentioned Vanessa Gian. Uh, the Fort Hood report that was done after Vanessa Gian's murder was just devastating. Uh, the Army should have been like, oh my God, we are so embarrassed, but they pushed back. And so what was really particularly bad about it is they looked at the experience level of the investigators at Fort Hood. Highly, highly inexperienced, uh, not allowed to stay in those jobs. Uh, and the, you know, I think the epitome of that was that the lead investigator of Vanessa Gian's murder was PCS during the investigation. <laughs> now, I mean, you just, if you're taking this seriously, you say, hey, you know, we're going to hold off on his, uh, his move until this investigation is done. But there's this idea as well, you know, talk about next man forward, you know, okay, that, that might work uh, in a fire team, but it doesn't work in investigations and prosecutions. Right, right. Yeah, would they, would they do that during a murder trial? Would you just change attorney? And, well, like, they the, will. The 24th? Uh, yeah, the yeah, that, that's the problem. They do. <laughs> so they have this, uh, this view, uh, all the services, uh, we call prosecutors in the military trial counsel. And they have this view, trial counsel are fungible. And what they mean by that is, well, judge set the trial for the week that our prosecutor's in a different court. We'll just put somebody else in there. 
and there's no pushback as an institution. Uh, well, the same thing with the sex assault. You know, uh, most uh, most victims are going through the process will probably have two or three different prosecutors on the on their case for time to get to trial. Well, you know, it really matters to that victim that they're not continually telling the same story yeah. over and over. And, right. you know, and it sends the message, well, we're not taking this seriously. Did you know the Grunt Style Foundation serves our military and veteran communities with everything they need to get on track, no matter their circumstances? From alternative medicine, mental health support, career resources, combating homelessness, food insecurity, and more, we are partisans for our community and will remain so with your support. Donate today, and together, we will drive positive changes we desperately need. Someone has to, and we're stepping up. Are you? Visit www.grunstylefoundation.org and support a veteran today. I'm driving on base, right? I'm in, I'm in Camp Lejeune. I'm driving. I'm doing, I'm doing five miles over the speed limit. Right? I get pulled over by an MP. I get a ticket from an MP. I go before uh, the magistrate uh, on, on base and you know, I pay my ticket, I do my thing, but it doesn't hit any part of my personal and private record, right? right. My, my insurance doesn't go up, uh, it doesn't ding my driver's license. You know, I am pretty much like, oh man, okay, cool. Uh, I could do this again because there's no impact on me. I might lose my driving privileges if I do this three or four more times, right. but I'm okay. I could do it. I, you know, it's not a big, a big problem for me. Is that the same thing that's happening with military assault? Like, I can, I can assault somebody, but this isn't going to hit my personal record. I don't have to. When I get kicked out of the military, I don't have to go uh, register as a sexual offender in my hometown. Yeah. So that's a, a great question. So supposed to be. Uh, so a court martial conviction is a federal conviction. It's supposed to be reported to the FBI database. Uh, an offender is supposed to register, they have a registrable offense. Uh, but there's lots of people that fall below the radar. Uh, I don't know if you, if you remember the Soda Springs massacre here in Texas, where hmm. Devin Kelly uh, went in, uh, it was November uh, 5th, 2017, if I remember right, he went into his church in uh, Texas oh, and, yes, yeah. and massacred 26 people. Uh, and then I think wounded another 10 or so. Uh, well, Devin Kelly had been prosecuted in the Air Force for domestic abuse. Yeah. And uh, my team actually prosecuted him. I was still on active duty at that time. Uh, first, the senior leadership at that institute, at that base, didn't take Devin Kelly's crime seriously. He got a sweetheart pretrial agreement. Uh, our sentencing process in the military is nuts. Uh, and uh, so the sentence by a jury who knew nothing about this guy, didn't know how dangerous he was, <clears throat> gets, you know, slap on the wrist. Uh, and then the military doesn't tell the FBI about his conviction. And he's able to go out and buy a gun that he wasn't supposed to be able to go out, and he slaughters 26 people, and now the Air Force has lost a quarter of a billion-dollar lawsuit. Uh, there, even when we take somebody as serious as him, you know, who held a gun to his, loaded a gun to his wife's head on several occasions, threatened to kill her, who abused his uh, stepson and uh, fractured his skull, he's not treated like a real criminal, yeah. like you would see in this civilian system. And so, uh, yeah, it's a real problem. It's something Congress has looked at repeatedly. Representative Jackie Spear from California has been particularly concerned about uh, sex offender registry and how it's happening and whether or not to follow up. But I, even after Devin Kelly killed all these people, 
the military is still not doing what should be a hundred percent job of reporting convictions. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, you know, I, <laughs> It's clearly based on the numbers, right? If one of four women are being assaulted in the military, yeah. right, and then one out of 15 men, I believe it is, yeah. um, and only 6.2% of those are being actually prosecuted in a uh, a trial setting, right. that, that that leads me to believe that you know, 80, 90, 90% of these things are happening at the captain's mass level, uh, at the command level. And, you know, it only gets a little documentation in my SRB or my, my service record book. Right? Yeah, well, and that's a great point. And so I've talked about prosecution rates going down. So, as you know, you can court-martial somebody. You can give them non-judicial punishment, captain's mast, uh, Article 15, however you want to refer to that. Or you can reprimand them, do mm -hmm. some sort of administrative thing, kick them out. A little EPD. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and if you look back, uh, like, to 2015, probably about... If the military did something to a sex offender, if they thought there was evidence to do something, probably about 70% of them started in the court-martial process, and the others were done Article 15 of reprimands. That's flipped. Uh, if you look at the most recent numbers, it's uh, Article 15 is just as likely as going to court. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Article 15s don't show up in the outside world. You know, that's Privacy Act protected. And so uh, it, it does really raise the question of are we sending – uh, sex offenders back in the society. Sure, sure. Yeah. Let's talk about like you know even the command and control of that, right? Because here's you know here's the facts that I know is that in the military I, I, I'm in control of my my record book. I take my records with me everywhere I go, right? Uh, but I'm not controlling my medical records, right? Because right? that goes to another function. But you know. Uh, with my record book, and what's to keep me, uh, you know, I've, I've already been captain, I've already been NJP, I've got an Article 15 in my record for sexual harassment, and I'm going to another unit. What's to say that I just don't rip that out of my book Yeah. as I check into my new unit, right? Because I'm already an integrity violator, right? <laughs> right? right. You know, there's nothing keeping me to, to the honesty and the sanctity of the institution in which I'm serving. Right, yeah, and and what's crazy is every service does things differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the Air Force has a database. Uh, I don't know what the Marines do, uh, but even it, it, it's just like the Air Force. Uh, right, well, a reprimand is going to last in your record until you move. Yeah. Uh, if you're an officer, it'll last for four years of a member right. Uh, whereas the Army, if you get a it's go, like bad credit, yeah, you <laughs> it get just a jumps off. <laughs> well, actually, the Army is insane because it depends what level the reprimand is. So yeah. if it's a general officer memorandum of reprimand of Gomar, those things like never die, and they're just arbitrarily handed out. Uh, the more I work with the Army, the less impressed I am with their the way they do discipline and uh, the. So, it, yeah, what, what is being told? And, you know, I talked about the sensing process. So the military sensing process, although there's been a lot of reforms to military justice, the military sensing process right now is basically the same thing George Washington had. Uh, and so we have no modern sensing tools. We can send somebody to jail. We can give them punitive discharge. We can make them do extra duties. You know, we can strip them to base, military unique punishments. We could take some pay. But what we don't have is an ability to put restrictions on somebody once they get out of confinement. So if you look at a federal judge, uh, they have the supervised release ability. So what they can say is, all right, you're going to go to jail for five years. 
And then you're going to be on supervised release for 20 more. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you're going to be doing sex offender treatment, anger management treatment. Your computer's going to be subject to no notice searches. You're going to have to put monitoring devices on your computer, like if you have child exploitation, child pornography. If you look at a military person who's convicted of child pornography, their sentence will be about 10% of or 20% of what they'd get in the federal system. And then the day they're released, there's under absolutely no restrictions. And so they can go right back to exploiting children through the internet uh, because we don't have these abilities. So we need to modernize our justice system. The other thing is, is that uh, we, like federal judge, before he sentences somebody or she sentences somebody, uh, gets what we call pre-sentencing report. And the probation office has done a deep dive into this person. They've looked at all the records, high school records, anything out there. And then they've also probably had a psychological evaluation. So going back to Devin Kelly, no one knew how dangerous this guy was yeah. uh, because we don't have ability to do a psychological evaluation and give it to the judge to say, this guy needs help. Uh, even though we knew we didn't have the empirical evidence to show how dangerous he was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it begs the question, it's like, I would like to know if the data exists and, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But, um, you know, the likelihood of repeat offending is, is extraordinarily high. We know that right. to be fact, right? Um, you know, what data exists for those individuals that, you know, have committed this, the, these sexual crimes inside the military, get a slap on the hand, exited, and then... What happens in the civilian world? Yeah. Like, like, are they doing the same thing? I would have to imagine, right? Right. Yeah, and it's something I think uh, that we need to start tracking. Yeah. And as far as I know, there's no ability to track, uh, nor any interest by the Department of Defense to it's track. probably the interest, right? Right, <laughs> right. Because yeah. you know, the, the DOD has this great thing. It's called propaganda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, they do a great job of it. Yep, they right? do. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, Wow, uh, an incredible thing. Like these are, you know, there are solutions to this problem, right? You know, you just mentioned a few of them in terms of, you know, what how the federal system, you know, uh, creates these uh, things that can be overlaid on top of the military system, right? right? Those are, that sounds like a very simple fix. Right? It is, it is, you know, and it, it's <laughs> when I left the Air Force, uh, it was to do this was to push the change. Uh, to our system. And we've got a lot changed over the last 10 years. Uh, and, you know, w one of the major changes was to remove prosecution authority from commanders, because unlike any other criminal justice system in this country, decision to prosecute is not made by a lawyer. It's made by an Air Force, most likely a pilot, infantry officer, surface warfare officer, all great at what they do. Mm -hmm. But they're not lawyers, <laughs> right, right. you know, and, and it, you know, it'd be the same of me making medical decisions, not qualified to do it. And I don't care if I have a doctor giving me advice on where to cut. I'm still not performing surgery, you know, and so that's, you know, the military's pushback. So, well, they have a lawyer telling them what to do. OK, sure. well, they're still the one deciding, right. you know, and they can ignore what the lawyer says. And the lawyer worked for him and. You know, it doesn't take a lot to figure out what the boss wants. Sure, and sure. you know, if it the, all goes wrong, the yeah. lawyer's the bag man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you know, the day you come into the Air Force, Jack, or you're told your job is to find a way to say yes to the boss. Yeah. You know, and so that's not independent advice, and you're giving the wrong person 
the ability to make these decisions. Yeah. And, you know, and it takes a long time, again, like I said, to prosecute these cases, but also to understand the impact of trauma, yeah. uh, counterintuitive behavior. So there's a lot of victim blaming that went on at that top level of generals making these decisions. You know, why was she there? What, would, what did she expect to happen? That kind of idea. We're not going to prosecute this guy because, you know, she, she was intoxicated. So, yeah, what did she think was going to happen? All right. You know, as a prosecutor, I've seen enough of these cases. I understand this. I'm going to make that uh, independent decision. I don't care if the guy is a great guy. I don't care if he's a dirtbag. I'm going to look at the facts and apply those facts to the law. And if those facts and the law say this guy should be prosecuted, that's the decision I'm going to make. Yeah. All right. And so, so 11 serious offenses have been taken outside the chain of command, and now it's going to be uh, that decision is going to be made by independent prosecutors, military prosecutors. Uh, <clears throat> that's good. Yeah. Uh, but we really just need to move the entire system. Uh, you know, we have a perfect model. It's called the federal system. Just move it over. Uh, do what the feds do. Uh, you know, I didn't. One of the things we haven't talked about is we also have the only criminal justice system in this country that doesn't require unanimous verdicts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if if you are an accused, you're like. What the hell? You know, I got convicted, and he didn't have to have everybody. didn't have to agree. And in fact, I think some of them voted not guilty, and I'm still being convicted. Uh, doesn't seem fair. If you're a victim, same thing. Wait a minute. You know, only 25% uh, plus one of the court members had his vote not guilty, and he's not guilty. Whereas in the federal system or the state system, you know, a verdict is unanimous, either guilty or not guilty. And so uh, it doesn't engender uh, faith again in this process if you don't have unanimous verdicts. Yeah. I think I have one final question for you. Sure. I, this would be a good one. We talk, we, uh, I think back to the Citadel and, the, and some of the rape and the, the, the things that was going on in the Citadel was at the late 90s, right? right? Um, think about West Point, I think about Annapolis, right, where all of these future officers are being trained to go in and lead young men and women. But when you pull back the curtain, a lot of those behaviors that we're talking about right now are occurring at those very institutions yep. that are training our future officers of America. And this is the behavior that they're learning and that they find to be acceptable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As bad as the sex assault numbers are on the active duty force, the highest rate of sexual assault and sexual harassment are at the service academies, mm -hmm. uh, all three of them. And uh, so, so like sexual harassment for an average woman cadet at the Air Force Academy uh, about has a one in two chance of being sexually harassed each academic year. Uh, sexual assault uh, rape, you're looking 14, 18% each academic year. Flip side of that is nobody's being punished. Nobody's being disenrolled. So the Air Force went like five, Air Force Academy went like five years without achieving a conviction in a sex assault or rape case. Five years. And at the same time, they have well over 100 cadets who are saying, I'm sexually assaulted or raped each year. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, what it means if you look at the three or so thousand officers that are getting commissioned each year, hundreds of them are probably somebody who sexually assaulted somebody or sexually harassed somebody in their four years there at that academy. And 
service academies have an outsized mm -hmm. influence. Uh, you look at chiefs of staffs or the CNOs, they're most likely an Annapolis guy or a West Point guy or Force Academy guy. Uh, and so it really shouldn't be that much of a surprise that our leadership has sucked on this issue when so many of them came through a process that <laughs> right, right, right. basically it, was Animal House going back Yeah, to, encouraging it, right? right. I, would, I would bet you that... You know, here's a controversial statement. I would bet you that General Milley in his career has seen somebody sexually assault somebody else. If you look at the stats, probably. Probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that's, and I think, you know, therein lies the problem. Right. Is, you know, we see something, say something, but when it's our friends, it's like, oh, Yeah, yeah. Hey, guy. Mm, yep. I'm just going to stop hanging out with you. <laughs> right? That's, if, that's if the balance even, of the bunches of yeah, goes. <laughs> if they even do that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a real problem. Yeah. Uh, again, that teammate camaraderie is amazing. You know, you've been in combat. I've never been in combat. I've never tried to portray myself as somebody who's been in combat. Uh, but you know how much you have to rely on the people on your left and right. And but got to understand when they violate standards it's just as if they violate the standards when they're standing next to you in the in the field 100 percent, because that we are playing with lives right right uh, however you want to cut it and slice it um it, that that is the importance of the the game in which we're playing um don i want to say thank you uh for you know one all the work that you've done uh in 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 addressing this issue over your years of service um you know, you're an incredible human being, um, and I can only imagine, you know, the the, the stories, the the heartache, the sorrow that, that you've been a part of uh, in prosecuting these things and and, and 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 holding people to the standard. Yeah. And you know, that's uh, we need more men and women like you uh, in in our service. Um, anything you'd like to share uh, before we we wrap this up? Well, first, you know, just thanks so much, Tim. Uh, you know that getting this message out to an audience uh, that may not typically hear this is so important. Uh, you know, the, I, I just in sincere gratitude that you're taking the time doing this, taking the time to talk to other people who've been through this. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, you know, I have a lot of uh, optimism. I think we're going to get to a better place. As I said before, I think the people coming in uh, younger are. are if we don't screw it up, if leadership doesn't screw it up, it's going to take this better place. You know, we're never going to have zero sexual assault. Uh, when I hear people say, you know, our goal is zero, it's like, okay, you know, that's like my saying my goal is to be a trillionaire. It's never going to happen. <laughs> right. uh, but we can reduce the numbers. We can make it a better place. And, uh, you know, it's a national security issue. We Recruiting's down. Uh, retention's down. Uh, the Rand Corporation shows that about 10,000 people leave early every year because of this issue. Uh, we know that people aren't coming in because of this issue. So if you love your country, we need to get to a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's these conversations that hopefully uh, can pull the, the shroud uh, uh, back and you know, shine light on the areas that we need to be doing better. Exactly. Uh, so, again, I thank you for your time. And uh, that, my friends, will wrap up another episode of American Grit. Uh, tough subjects, tough conversations here, but um, I think they are necessary and ones that we should be having at our home, ones that we should be having uh, with our children and, uh, and our peers. So uh, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and wash those stinking hands, and be kind to one another.
The Grunt Style Foundation is moving forward with purpose. Thanks to support from members of the community like you, we have begun to turn the tide in the fight against toxic exposure, PTSD, and veteran homelessness, among other things. This is a fight some people don't believe can or should be fought. Respectfully, they can sit on a cactus and spin. We are in this for our brothers and our sisters. So the challenge is accepted. Let's be the change we need. Somebody has to be. Visit www.gruntstylefoundation.org and donate today.